but it's a curiosity as to where we are, what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello, Curious Humans. A large part of my motivation for this podcast is the privilege of speaking with those who I consider to be elders. People who've lived their lives to the absolute fullest have stories and insights to share with younger generations about what it means to truly live well. And this conversation with Kevin Kelly turned out to be exactly that. You'll probably want to have a pen and paper ready to take notes. It was so rich with practical wisdom. And that's in part because this was the subject of Kevin's new book, which he called Excellent Advice for Living. Some of the themes that resonated most with me were how his curiosity and obsession with tinkering and making things paved the way for his later career. Why giving away your time is by far the most valuable thing that you can give. The immense value in designing family rituals and rites of passage. Why he believes that AI will eventually want to have an identity and a name, and he believes will act as a forcing function to propel humanity forward, just like children do, to be better than we would have been otherwise. And finally, his thoughts on why we should attend as many funerals as possible and endeavor to become fully ourselves. If you've been enjoying these conversations, it would be so appreciated if you could take just a moment to share with any group threads or chats that you're part of, or open up in either Spotify or Apple and give Curious Humans a brief review or rating. This helps others find the podcast, it helps me with getting more awesome guests, and it also feels really great to receive. And finally, I'll mention that I have a zero-cost monthly newsletter, which contains a collection of the most interesting nuggets and resources that I stumble on. There are over 4,000 subscribers, and you can subscribe for free over at CuriousHumans.com. Okay, without any further ado for me, let's dive in. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast, Kevin. It is a real pleasure to have you here. How are you feeling right now in three words? Very excited today. Nice. Very excited because my book just launched um, Mm -hmm. just uh, yesterday. It was the on sale date. It's been, you know, many, 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 many months in preparation. And it's uh, the day when the people receive the books for the first time and I get to hear what people thought. So that's just, so today they're, they're kind of coming in all the messages and uh, it's just really been fabulous to, 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 to um, be able to share with that. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. A bunch of my friends on Twitter have actually been posting screenshots of the book as well. And my friend Kyle has even published a book review already <laughs> in the short period of time that it's wow. live. Yeah. That must be a great feeling to kind of have great. it, have it out in the world. Yes, exactly. It is really great. I mean, you know, it doesn't last. Um, there's still a lot of um, work to do to help promote it. And that's sort of what book publishing these days is. It's not very difficult to make something, but it's very, very difficult to kind of distribute and promote it. Mm. Well, to, to kind of dive in, um, I I really consider you to be one of the most like eclectic and intellectually adventurous mm-hmm. humans alive today. Um, and if, if you, mm, if well. you think back, this, this is the question that I, I begin most conversations with, 
Do you think that you were exceptionally curious as a child? And if so, could you maybe tell me a story about something you were curious about? I don't... I, w I, I would not have described me as, say, the most curious child. I think my superpower, if I had one as a kid, was I was a maker. I made stuff. And maybe that's one version of being curious. And so I was curious to the extent that I wanted to make things. And so from a young age, I was making model railways, you know, scrounging for things in the neighborhood, in the factory backyards and stuff, scrounging stuff to be able to make things. Because I had no money and there was, I didn't have an older brother. And it was just, I was kind of on my own trying to discover how to do stuff, going to the library. And I made, uh, later on, I found a book about how to make a nature museum. And I decided I wanted to make a nature museum in my basement. And uh, wow. I was going around learning about things, how to collect them, prepare them, mount them, make exhibits and stuff. And later on, I got into science and chemistry and I built, um, when I was a kid, a chemistry lab. And that was what I asked for my birthdays was chemical glassware because I, I didn't have any money. So, um, I bet your parents loved that. So, so, so I, I was, I was, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was one of the very few kids in America to have a full functioning chemistry laboratory and I never made a bomb, right? Because most of do. Once they have chemistry, they make, want to right. make explosives. Uh -huh. I didn't have any interest in that for some reason. So uh, I was too cautious. So anyway, that was my version of of curiosity was being uh, was making things and 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 um, uh, that is still part of me. I mean, I I have a I'm in a two story library and I just finished making going back to childhood. I made a model railway around the perimeter mm. of the ceiling and uh, made some bridges out of electric sets and stuff. And so um, wow. I, I I I just you know, I built a house. I just like to make things, make books, make websites, make yeah. companies. That's that's my version of curiosity. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, you've just published this uh, gorgeously refined book that you, that you just mentioned. It's like a collection of proverbs called Excellent Advice for Living. Um, and in some right. ways, I felt almost like a, like a kid in a candy store kind of reading through. And there's, there's so many th threads mm. that are alive um, so I feel like this conversation might be almost like a chef's tasting menu for, for ideas. Um, <laughs> I like that. Okay. So I'll, I'll just, I'll follow some of this. What's the first for, course? Yeah. So first course. What's the appetizer course? Starters, yeah, the, the yeah. appetizer. Um, self-permission was, was the theme. And is anyone kind of familiar with your story? I feel like you've lived this, this outrageously full life of making so many things. And I think a question that came to mind for me was, where do you think this this maybe like radical sense of permission came from to follow these impulses? I'm not. Um, you know, I grew up in a pretty parochial, isolated, culturally isolated suburban New Jersey uh, household um, with a lot of siblings um, in the fifties and sixties, and and I don't. Um, I, I, I was not, I'm not aware of any inciting influences on 
my eagerness to kind of explore and take a different path, except I did read um, Thoreau Walden in high school, and that did that did touch me in a, in a profound way. He became my hero, and mm-hmm. I drew pictures of him to put up on my wall. And he was in some ways my mentor, mm-hmm. and that, there was something about the beauty of. First, his prose, of course, the way he writes, but also what he was doing with his life that said, okay, I think that's sort of what I'm about. And then later on, he discovered the whole earth catalog shortly after that. And that was like, okay, now I know what I'm about. And that's my dream was to work for the whole earth catalog someday, little knowing that I was actually going to run it at some point. <laughs> so um, that, that, that idea of, of, um, Inventing your own life, of um, stripping things down to the essence to discover the first principles. So it's like they, you know, entrepreneurs talk about go, going back to first principles to, to, to try and invent things. Well, Thoreau is kind of going to first principles of life, of mm-hmm. saying what what's what's the minimum that you need to be content, and then can we build up from there? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, just the idea of, of that kind of um, volunteer simplicity as a, as a means to have the full and rich life, that paradox. And so Thoreau might have been maybe the kind of inciting um, mentor that, that set me on a certain direction in the whole earth catalog, absolutely for sure, that would be Stuart Brand. He was the second and maybe even the greater influence on me. And I, and I discovered that right at the graduation of high school. Mm, I love that. There's a book that I remember reading by Stephen Cope called The Great Work of Your Life. And he uses Thoreau mm. as a case study. And, and what I found particularly interesting was that he w- originally wanted to be a journalist in New York City. And he, he kind of didn't make it. And, and he made this decision where he felt like a failure, like moving to Walden Pond. And, but, but it was really through yeah. following that kind of quiet voice and finding that solitude that he was able to produce the great works that we know him for. Um, yeah, he's a really inspiring character. Exactly, yeah. It's another beautiful example of um, it not really, depending on too much where you start, because your lives are going to take right mm-hmm. turns and detours and mm-hmm. switchbacks, and you're not, and you're going to end and go in a direction that you didn't begin. And that's normal. That's mm-hmm. young people. You should expect that. You're, it doesn't matter whether you're <laughs> washing dishes or an intern at an advertising agency. It, it, it doesn't matter where you begin. Beautiful. Well, and another, so the next course, I guess, uh, the, the theme is is listening. And one of my favorite highlights mm. was from your book was listening well is a superpower. While listening to someone you love, keep asking them, is there more until there is no more? And I really love this. And what came up for me is I sense that there are almost good and bad ways to listen. Um, so is there anything mm. that you'd, you'd say to that? And, and maybe what is, what is learning to listen well given you? Yeah, I think later on I might have a little piece of advice about um, you're listening not to not to design a reply. You're listening to try and hear what is unsaid. Mm. So there's a tendency in listening 
at the superficial level where you're kind of like, well, this is a conversation I'm going to be working on what, how I'm going to, what I'm going to say back. Mm-hmm. Whereas one form of deep listening is you're really listening to what they're saying and you're kind of trying to hear what's not being said as a way to kind of even go deeper. Mm. Um, other, other ways, other things about how to listen. Um, well, um, so, 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 so at one level, I'm interviewed by a lot of people and, um, particularly in China, um, cause I'm, most of my fans are in China and, um, had, yeah. there's a tendency, there's a tendency to, to have a conversation where they ask a question, I answer the question, they ask the next question. Mm-hmm. So they're not listening. They're not responding to <laughs> what yeah. was said in between. They just have another, they've got the next thing. And so, um, so I think listening is 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 in a way that that you are allowing yourself to be affected mm. by what is being said, right? So it's not just like you're not you're not recording it. It's not like it's not like you're a tape recorder where you're just hearing it. Mm. Listening is where you're being affected by what is being said in some capacity, whether it's an emotional affection or whether you you know whether it works at the logical level, but but it, that's the difference between just hearing something and, and listening to it. Mm. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel like there's almost this receptivity that's present. Um, right. And, right. A, and a sense of ma- maybe even like impartiality and, and vulnerability as well in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of marriage counselors will tell you that um, – <laughs> Often what people need when they're upset or not feeling well or depressed or all kinds of things is someone who's listening without even saying much. I mean, literally just receiving it. And that's often, that's often all that is needed is no more or no less than actually just listening. You don't have to offer a solution. You don't have to offer a comment. You just have to receive it. So I think you're right in in that way. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, well, a, another theme that I, I'd love to touch on is is kind of like zooming the lens out. And I, I felt, at least in my t- interpretation, patience was another theme in your book. Um, and I've had a few conversations with a friend and, and mentor of mine, Jan Chipchase, who consistently reminds me to zoom out and think in the longer term. Uh, and, and I know that you've tended to only, or at least I've heard this, you've tended to only take on projects in kind of five-year increments. Um, and for someone like myself, mm-hmm. I tend to create things and really just think on a much shorter time horizon. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in hearing how have you learned to adopt this more, this like broader temporal lens? So, so um just to clarify things and make it clear. So, so, so I, I think that the projects that are kind of worth doing and that become significant in my experience and to other people's experience will take five years from the moment that they're first thought of to, to the moment you stop thinking about them. Mm-hmm. And um, it isn't that everything that I don't work on something unless it's a five year thing, because that's, 
I, I can't plan that way. What I mean, I mean, I'll do lots of little things. Um, because I, I believe in prototyping rather than making grand plans, uh, or prototyping and iterating your way to things. So, um, so I will, I will be uh, working on, on things, but, um, many things and trying them and iterating small things, small steps, but not intending to let more than one five-year thing or get big enough to be a five-year project at a time. Mm. So it's a way of sort of focusing in a certain sense mm. on, on that and um, kind of saying, well, okay, if I'm going to do a book, even including this little tiny book, that I have to kind of resign my, myself to the fact that this is going to occupy five years somehow or other. It doesn't matter how small it is, you know, whatever it is. Mm. In the end, from the first glimmer of writing these things down or whatever, it's going to be a five-year project and you can't escape it. So, so it's, it's more of a kind of saying, not a way of making things bigger, but it's saying anything worthy you should account for as if it was a five-year project. Mm. Got it. Got it. So okay. I do lots of little things in between. But anything big, you have to kind of, in your mind, say, well, I get to do one of those during this time. Mm. You can't do two of them at the same time because they're, they're, you know, one five-year project at a time. And so what's it going to be? Is it going to be this or is it going to be that? Because they're both are going to consume mm. five years of my, my, my um, attention. Got it. So it's like a forcing function for your for your attention in, in, in some ways. Yes. Right, 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 right. Got it. It's not so much how you get going or, or whatever. It's, it's saying that, um, that the, a, a project is sort of a commitment and you have to be willing to commit a certain amount of your attention to it or that it's going to, because it's going to demand it. It's going to require, or whether you want to give it or not, it's going to, it's going to suck that much out of you that's the cost of it there's an attention cost mm. the attention cost is like five years so if you really want to go down this thing of doing a startup or if you want to go and do uh change jobs or if you want to do something else you say oh that's going to suck that's going to, the total suckage of this <laughs> is going to be five years <laughs> Uh, got it. Got it. Um, yeah. okay. Well, I, I, I was reflecting on, um, the nature of advice itself as I was reading your book and mm, like cool. my, my experience is, is that advice for the most part is, is quite useless in, 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 in some ways, but what I felt from reading was, was it was like a distilled collection of rememberings. That was how it felt to me. Mm. And I mapped some of the proverbs to my own experience. And it felt like they were like concentrated shots of a sense that, yeah, I need to actually like embody this. I need to kind of remember this on, on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. do you think, could you speak to this and, and maybe what is the journey that you've been on to live some of these principles or, or some of these, these things that you've written down? Yeah. I, I think you're really close to the mark. I, I think of these as reminders. Mm. The reminders. Basically, everything important has already been said 
<laughs> but nobody was was listening, so we have to say them again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. So 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 these these are reminders, and and the best ones are working at the level of the timeless wisdom of the past from the Stoics and Confucius and the Bible and Zoroaster and the Zen guys. And so, um, so these are, so I'm channeling things as a reminder and, and what I'm trying to do is put them in my own words in a way that are more memorable for us today. Mm -hmm. And that encapsulation, I think is important. That's why I began writing these down was for myself Mm. to help me hold them, handle them, and bring them up to remind myself of them as, as uh, to make the habit. And so, um, you know, my bit of advice about if something gets, if you can't find something in your house, you know, it's there and you find it when you're done using it and you begin to put it back. The reminder is no, no, don't put it back where you found it, put it back where you first looked for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, that, so I tell myself that little story, put it back mm-hmm. where you first looked for it. It's a reminder. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want these things, you know, about um, if I'm starting to get outraged, um, decide today not to be outraged today, right? I mean, so it's like you make this decision, so not to be outraged. That's 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 your thing. Maybe tomorrow, but today I'm not going to be outraged. Okay, <laughs> all right. So um, so so that's that's just the handle. They're a little handle encapsulation. Mm. They also, by the way, happen to travel very well on mm. the internet which right. is another benefit. But the main reason I, I, I did it was for myself to um, to give a, a, a little way to hold these mm. books, vast bits of wisdom and in, in, encapsulated and condensed and distilled into this little thing mm. that I could remind myself with. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's, it's harder to remember things that are, you know, longer than a few tweets worth. I suppose that's just a function of human attention. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, well, an, another reminder that I, I loved was, uh, I've got it written down here. When you, when you give away 10% of your income, you lose 10% of your purchasing mm. power, which is minor compared to the 110% increase in happiness you will gain. So I, I love this one. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the most joyful or joy-inducing ways that you've given away money? What's an example mm-hmm. of that? There's a couple of things. I, I have given some money anonymously to people that I knew needed money for personal reasons. They didn't know that I knew but in any case, that that was a tremendous joy um, because what happens when you give that kind of that way anonymously is the people receiving it begin to suspect everybody mm. among their friends as being the generous oh, love, one. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> right? That's beautiful. It's really kind of cool. It's yeah. like someone, someone just changed our lives. We don't know who was it. You was, and they can't say. So anyway, um, that's a really uh, great. That's a great way to do it. Um, yeah. We, uh, I, I, this is kind of beyond the scope of it, but um, I, I suggest to everybody that they set up a fidelity kind of what would they call it? Charitable trust fund, donor mm-hmm. appointed fund. So what it is is is, is you can gift it uh, and anything into that fund. It's like a index fund, it's a stock fund. 
is uh, has to be given away to a, 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 a verifiable charity, and you mm-hmm. take the tax deduction when you give it. But the thing about it is that it's a it's a fund that's growing. It's growing like any mm-hmm. other index. So you give some money, and mm-hmm. if you don't give all of it away that year, it begins to grow, and you have more money to give away. So mm-hmm. we tend to use that to fund. Um, what I would call high leverage type of um, charities. And those are the, le- the, the kind of like micro loans, micro finances, mm-hmm. uh, the um, Heifer project, which gives breeding ad- pairs of animals to people, but mm-hmm. they then have to give one pair of breeding animals themselves once they get going. So it passes on, gives, keeps going. So, mm-hmm. so those to me give me great joy because they are, enabling kind of charity of, you know, mm. not just giving a fish, but teaching a person how to fish, mm. you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And so, um, so, so, so that I find really, really great in terms of, of giving and, um, you know, um, and it's of course true that the most valuable thing that we have is our time more mm-hmm. than money. And if you give your time away, by far, that's the most valuable thing that you can give. Um, and why, you know, I, again, one thing I learned in my wish I'd known earlier was that, you know, that was the highest leverage was getting, getting other people to give you their time. You give mm-hmm. them a little bit of money, they give you your time. Well, that, what a bargain, because that's the only scarce resource in the universe. And so mm-hmm. um, giving away your time and donating, volunteering is by far um, the most precious mm-hmm. thing that you can give. Not necessarily the most effective, but at least the most precious. Mm, I love that. And I, I really love the first example of giving anonymously. And I, I hadn't thought about it having that impact of you know, potentially changing someone's perspective on the world. Or it's almost like giving a more generous, a, a lens of generous assumptions potentially to, to others. That's, yeah, yeah. That's it it kind of only works in a kind of personal level. There's lots of anonymous gifts giving at the high level. But if you turn to personal level... Um, and you hear about somebody whose life really that you know that could really make a difference and you give it anonymously, it's kind of tricky. You can't do it. Um, that's really, as I said, it, it can change their perspective because they, yeah. they, they enter pronoia. And you've heard of pronoia. Pronoia is the opposite of paranoia. Right. Paranoia is where you're convinced that the universe is conspiring behind to take you down. <laughs> Whereas uh-huh. pronoia... Is this idea that the universe is conspiring to help in your, you in your favor? And so, yeah. if you, um, if someone's anonymously among your acquaintances given you something, it's like you are going to be suspicious and suspect each one of them as being <laughs> as being the generous person. Uh, that's so great, uh, so great. Um, yeah, I love that. So, I wanted to talk about this is maybe maybe lunch or kind of like like third third course. Um, is on rites of passage and the words that you wrote here are we lack rites of passage create a memorable family ceremony when your child reaches legal adulthood between 18 and 21 and this is something that i've discussed a lot on this podcast Um, i've taken part in vision quests myself and spent 10 days in in a dark room Um, but i'd love to hear what are some ideas for rites of passage or Mm. family ceremonies that you could share that you know might be accessible to, yeah. to listeners. So our th- we did uh, we had a rite of passage for our three kids, and we chose the age of twenty one as 
that. And so um, we had a little ceremony that they they could invite um, a few close friends if they wanted to, or we had family members, but it's very, very small. And um, the kinds of things that they did was um, the following. One, one thing was that, that we did the same for all three kids, and then they each had some um, participation in some innovation and some things that they that they added themselves. But the one that we did, the parts that we did that were the same was um, we began the ceremony by um, tying a red ribbon between my wife and I and our child. That was the, mm-hmm. we came into the, and they would take a big scissors mm-hmm. and we were cut the umbilical cord. We were cut the cord mm-hmm. and we'd have a little kind of, you know, a, a ritual saying and announcement that we were cutting the cord and then we would literally say this is your last check we would give them the last check you you, you know our support for you was ending and you were going to take over um your own you're going to be self-sufficient in that sense you were going to now be a kind of an adult mm-hmm. and um then we also um, would have their first legal drink, a toast with their first legal drink. Mm-hmm. And um, they would share, you know, the wine. And then um, there was uh, some some of the kids had a, a bet or a wager or a promise from us. Uh, and there was another check. I guess that may be before the last check, but it was um, uh, we had – promised them a thousand dollars if they didn't um, smoke or drink before they were 21. Hmm. And that was based on something that I did with my parents hmm. when I was growing up. So they, they heard about that and they wanted to do that when they were kids, when they didn't know hmm. any better. <laughs> so that was, that was um, something that we did. And then um, uh-huh. my son, he decided that what he wanted to do was um, he got um edible paper and edible ink and had everybody write some bits of advice on the piece of paper and then ate it. It's like a <laughs> communion. <laughs> you, you should print him an edible copy of right? your latest book. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's where the idea came from. Um, wow. So that was the idea of the communion, the communion of advice. And then, then he later, we went down, we lived near the beach. He went down to the beach. He says, I want to um, be baptized. I want to um, walk into the ocean. I want to dive into the ocean, a boy. I want to walk out a man. Hmm. It's like, wow, okay. Hmm. We're going we're gonna to do that. Um, one of my daughters um, wanted to be baptized in the hot tub, in our hot tub. <laughs> and okay. So we had, she had our, one of her cousins who was a, who was a minister youth pastor, he came and he baptized her in our hot tub. Uh, and uh, another, my other, my other daughter, she, she baked a bread herself. And then she fed each person. It was like, again, like another communion. She fed each person this bread with some kind of significance. And she had another, um, she had another ritual, which I'm forgetting right now that she had invented again to, to mark the passage and, and all that. So, so there was, there was a number of things, some of it, as I said, that we initiated some of it that they did. 
And um, that was a very memorable time. It was definitely this idea that they were transitioning and um, we marked it and it was known and it was part of their identity now. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Did your, did your son do anything in particular when he went into the ocean or was it just a, a, a kind of met metaphorical? In, how, how in where we or? are, the ocean's <laughs> freezing. Uh -huh. So it's all you do. It's a shock when you dive in. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I don't, I, uh, that would have been a nice idea, but no, it was go in, come out alive. <laughs> <laughs> that qualifies. Yeah. So the, I mean, rituals, it seems to be another theme of the book in some ways. And I, I know you've written yeah. about the Sabbath as well. Um, yeah. how, how has that or, or any other rituals kind of enhanced your life and, and maybe how are they, how is it just different from a habit? Well, yeah. Um, as I said, a lot of this, the book was written kind of with the idea of wisdom I wish I'd known earlier. And one of the pieces that I wished I'd known earlier, I generally regret not understanding that was this idea in our family of having as many rituals as possible for mm. the kit for family rituals. And mm. they're very making a ritual is basically anything that you do three times in a row is sort <laughs> of a ritual. Um, they don't have to, they don't have to be significant. They don't have a big profound meaning. They can be just like every, Friday night you have, you know, home baked pizza in the movies, or every Sunday morning you bake pancakes, or every birthday begins with this song, or um, you know what? Every season on the equinox you go outside and you holler at the moon, whatever it is, um, and you do it on a repeating basis. The the key thing is there should be expectation. You want the kids in the family to be anticipating, anticipating mm. this. Oh, I can't wait. This is what happens. On the, and we do this. And it's at, and once a year we do this. And, and every 4th of July we do this. And so there is a sense of anticipation. And the thing that it does is that repetition is incredibly grounding, is anchoring to kids because the thing that they prize most is consistency mm. and reliability mm. and stability. They, they, you know, that's why family dynamics are so upsetting if, mm. if, this, if they can't count on it, having something that they can count on, and these mm. are kind of visible markers of that you can count on us. We are here. We are going to be there every time. Don't worry about this. You are mm. anchored. And that's what they do unconsciously. The fun little part of them is, it's an, is, is you know, it's fun. It's, that's not where the meaning is. And um, but as they get older, these little things that you always do become part of the story, the legend of the family, part mm. of the history of the family. And I think having a family identity is also incredibly important for kids as they grow up, because, again, it's more anchoring. It's as they are developing their own identity to have the family identity be there and kind yeah. of a given really enables them to kind of step out and become more individually identifiable mm. and so um mm. these things become more important and you know nowadays as young adults they look back on them and they talk about the things we always did even though we only might do them a couple times a year they were institutionalized and ritualized and they hang on to them now they're 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 again they're kind of landmarks or 
ways in which there are safe harbors. They're, they're there and they are, when I think back of them, they're comforted by them. Mm. That's beautiful. I, I wasn't expecting you to, to say that, but I, I can really see how there's a sense of like embodied safety, yeah. um, particularly on the threshold of stepping out into the world and, you know, where there's so much uncertainty, having right. those anchors. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so a question from, I, I asked a, a few friends uh, what, what curiosities they might have for you. And my friend Buster Benson was curious to ask, what have you realized that technology wants based on the last three to five years that you might not have guessed when your book came out and are its wants changing? Mm. I thought it was a great question. That is a great question. Um, hmm. That's such a good question. I need to think about it for a second here. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to restate it just to um, give myself some time. So yeah. um, what I wrote a book called What Technology Wants. That's what it's referring to. And the idea there mm -hmm. is that we want to listen to technology to see which way it leans and what its tendencies are. To understand that then those systematic characters are kind of independent of what humans themselves just by the nature of the physics and geometry of these technologies as a system mm -hmm. and so the question and i had some a bunch of different um suggestions about the trends and biases and tendencies of technology in that book and the question is um since the last since the book's been released mm -hmm. you know 10 15 years, what, what's new? What, what are some of the new things that I understand about um, what technology wants that, that were not in the book? Um, um, I think, uh, so one of the things I did say that technology wants is, is mindfulness, um, evolution, has produced brains and neural nerve, nervous systems and all kinds of ganglia and thinking multiple times independently. So it kind of wants to produce that. And our, 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 our thing producing AI right now is totally in line with that. So that's why I would say AI was inevitable. Excuse me. It wants AI. Um, uh, but I think... Um, I'm thinking out loud here, but, but, but it might be that one of the things that AI wants is, is an identity mm. is, 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 um, I think the idea of, um, we were just talking about young children growing up and taking on identity. And so it, it, I, I, I think we don't understand what intelligence is. We really have no idea. And these other higher levels of consciousness, sentience, we don't know what they are. But it might be that one of those ingredients, and, and by the way, I think, I, think, I think those are kind of all inevitable and they, they are things that, that we're moving towards and that technology does want consciousness and sentience, mm -hmm. but there might be mm -hmm. another, another mm -hmm. one 
that's maybe part of that mix, which is identity, having an identity, mm. having a, um, it's more than just having a self. It's having a self that other people know, or it's, I, I'm not sh- I haven't really thought about exactly what I mean by identity for in, in technology. And, but it might be something along the lines of, um, I wouldn't say having a brand, but having, mm-hmm. having some, a way of describing yourself or labeling yourself or calling yourself. It's like having a name. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So maybe it's like maybe what technology wants is to have a name huh. at some point to have a name. And, um, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, uh, I have to think more about whether I really think that that's where it's going to see what the evidence for that is. But um, that's the best I can do right now, thinking off the top of my head. So I would say uh, it may be that technology wants a name. That's great. Do, do you have, a, I, I know you've talked about um, AI, like AI is being more kind of relevant than just AI. So presumably there'd be you know, many names many identities yes. to, to, to yes. correspond yes. with yes. many right. different types of intelligence right right exactly i'm sorry i should make that clear because i always think in plurals but yeah um <laughs> each, each technology wants a name or something like that or or yeah oh. uh, technologies want yeah names so um uh you're, yeah that's a good clarification because nice. because i think it's very important that we think in terms of plurals and that's one of the uh, the distinctions and the reasons they disagree with those who are think that there's an existential threat with AI is they, they always talk about monolithic AI mm-hmm. that takes over. It's one huge super, super organism, superhuman AI. And, and, and I think there's just going to be hundreds and thousands of species of AIs all competing in some sense, like a ecosystem mm-hmm. competing in cooperation at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so I think that makes it less likely of, of being taken over by a single AI. It's like say, well, there's a single giant Borg uh, organism that's going to take over the planet. And I think that's possible, but unlikely. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And, and this, this actually nicely dovetails into um, like may, may, maybe one of the final themes to explore here, which is, uh, a sense of full expression and and becoming fully yourself. I, I believe you wrote, "Don't aim to be the best, but aim to be the only." Um, and so, <clears throat> I guess my question is, do you feel like you're being fully Kevin? And and what have you observed <laughs> about about the invisible barriers to to being fully ourselves? Like like what what gets in the way of that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um- that's definitely a main theme of the book. And I have many other variations of that from um, you want to aim so that on the day before you die, mm. that you can, that you can say that you have fully become yourself. Right. I mean, so that's mm-hmm. the, that's the trend that you want to aim for. You'll not ever arrive there, but you'll be headed in that asymptotic direction of always approaching it. And, um, it's a very high bar. It's very, very hard to do that. And the, the several things we know about it. One is that it will take most of us, including me, most of our lives to kind of get anywhere on that journey. Um, 
And secondly, it's weirdly and paradoxically, the only way to fully become yourself is with the help of everybody else. Mm. You can't do it alone. So mm. you can't fully become yourself, yourself. You need, <laughs> you need family, friends, mm. colleagues, mentors, customers, clients to all help see who you are and who you are becoming and to help you on your way to become the best you. And so, um, and so the, um, uh, so it's a process that one takes all your life two involves everybody around you. That's why we're all here to help each other become ourselves. And, um, three, it's, uh, um, you're not going to end up, it doesn't matter where you start again, because it's a very long and meandering journey with many mm -hmm. turns and setbacks and detours. Um, and then four, um, I, I think it, um, it requires, you know, constantly uh, asking yourself, constantly challenging yourself. It requires all these other habits that we're talking about. Uh, of uh, it, it's it's work. It's 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 deliberate. It's um, uh, what's the word I want? It's that is your occupation, mm. right? In in the end, mm. and 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 um, part of mm. what we see with artists, and part of what we see with in innovators and entrepreneurs, and what we see with great scientists who have accomplished something, it's really all those achievements are really uh, are, are emanating from their person, from from who they are. And, mm. you know, I mentioned another piece of advice, which is, you know, attend as many funerals as you possibly can and listen to what they say about the departed because they very rarely talk about the departed's achievements. Mm. What they mostly talk about is the departed's character, their being, who they are, who they became how they made people feel. And that's their, their being, the person, the, the you. And so from that, from your person and who you are comes off yields. It's a byproduct of who you are. It's, it stems from it. And so, um, and so you kind of want to work on who you are. And that's another piece of advice is like, the, the the best way to answer the question about what to do next is to ask yourself, who do I want to become? Mm. Okay. So that becoming a you is, is your life's work. Mm. That is your job. That is your occupation. And from, from that will come the achievements. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It reminds me of, there's a line from the poet David White and he says, uh, when when you're attending a funeral, um, when when they're reading through the list of achievements, the room is still quiet and cold, right. and they they fall away like like chaff in the wind. And it's only through uh, through listening to to what it was that they loved that, that right. was that was his point. Right, uh, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I I wonder how this. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about uh, kind of how this how identity intersects with, with AI, like, like you just mm -hmm. mentioned. And, and I wonder, mm -hmm. you know, if we, if we might spend the next 
30, 40 years in this kind of identity crisis, like asking what are humans good for? And, and you know, maybe one gift of, of LLMs, of, of AIs could be that they act as this forcing function, which almost necessitate that we can only do the things which are uniquely ours to do. Absolutely, um, 100%. I think we're headed for a hundred-year identity crisis for the human race. Mm. And this AI, this genetic engineering, as we modify our own genes, this question of who are we, but more importantly, who do we want to be, who do we want to become, yeah. is is going to be the the central, overriding, constant, existential question. So this yeah. is we're just in the first dawn of of, of that brought on by chat GBT and so many people are asking that well, this, <laughs> this is going to be every conversation from for the next hundred years is going to be basically revolving around that very that very question because we will yeah. make things doing the things that we thought were us including thinking and thinking is highly overrated as a, <laughs> as a means of getting things done a lot of young men who like to think think that the most important thing in the world is thinking but you have to kind of, you know, it's like, well, look who's saying this. It's people who like to think. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the, the old joke about um, uh, when when you hear that someone say that the brain is the most complex thing in the universe. Just remember who's telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And so it's like when when when. Uh, when someone's saying thinking is the most important thing, just just remember who's saying that. There's, these are these are middle-aged guys who like to think. So, um, um, I, I uh, yeah, there's. I, I think this is this is the what I want the framing for the ongoing period. This questioning about. Um, who we are, what our job here, why are we here, what are we for, what do we do, um, is going to be finally a question that is not just philosophical. It actually is going to become policy. Lawmakers will have to fiddle with it. Scientists will have to engineer it. Mm. Um, you know, And so we can... Uh, these current crop of AIs are trained on the average human work, the, the the best work and the worst of humans, like Reddit and you know the Iliad and the Odyssey and Reddit, right? Okay, and so they're all it's going there, and what they're getting, what we're getting, is the average, the the wisdom yeah. of the crowd, average human, and the average human is biased and racist and mean. Mm. So we're saying we're not going to accept that for AIs. We don't want them to be like the average human. We want them to be the best. We want them to be better than us. We can we can program that in if we knew what that was. The the question is, or the problem is, we don't know. Mm. We don't. We can't describe what the better than human is. Is is it woke? Is it super woke? Is it post woke? <laughs> what what does that even look like? And so, mm. if we so we're going to have this discussion. And, and we don't even know what consensus is or whether we could have consensus or who decides. And so, but we're going to have this thing about what do we want the better than humans AIs to be like? Hmm. That is going to force us, if we could describe it, 
just like having children, we are going to ourselves have to up our game as humans to rise to the level of we can make an AI better than us. Why can't mm. we make us better than us? Mm. And so, um, so I think you're absolutely right. They're going to be a, they're going to force us, to propel us like children do to be mm. better than we would have been. Mm. Beautiful. And, and that really kind of ties in nicely with your, your previous thought around AI itself, like wanting identity. Uh, and and yeah. inter- there's like a kind of co- interesting conversation there between those two drives. Beautiful. Well, I'm um, aware of time. Uh, would it be okay to ask a few more rapid fire questions? Please do. Uh, and then, and then we'll wrap up. Five more minutes. Good. Let me hear. Okay, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Okay. <laughs> what is one idea or conjecture that you believe to be true, but don't yet have proof for? <gasps> oh, uh, I, I believe that the aliens are already here. The Great. aliens from other planets. If you found out today you only had six months left to live, what might you do? I've already done this once in my life. And what I did was I decided to go home and help my parents um, take out the garbage and do all the other stuff. Would you do the same thing again? Well, they're not around anymore. So, um, uh, yeah, I would think I would would, um, do very domesticated um, at-home things of trying to be as – of trying to – um, what would make the ordinary holy mm. apart from building a house from scratch what is something you believe everyone should experience at least once in their lives burning man hmm. <laughs> what are the elements that make travel that make the most rewarding travel that's a question from Jan um uh the more you can leave behind, the more rewarding it will be. Mm. What is one cherished memory from your time spent wandering Asia before cell phones existed? Oh, I, um, I have I have a memory of sitting on the banks of the Ganges River in India, in Varanasi, and there was a lunar eclipse happening and at the moment of the lunar eclipse a hundred thousand maybe a million i don't know people all simultaneously rushed into the river and there was that there was a sound of kind of like the river inhaling or there was or breathing or something that was uncanny and just beautiful and just the whole scene I just will never forget. Wow. Okay, last last two questions. What is your greatest hope for this recent book on excellent advice for living? My hope is that it reaches three different young people and changes their lives for the best. Hmm. Last last question. Given that humanity appears to be straddling the edge of multiple precipices, what does it truly mean to be a good ancestor today? Mm-hmm. To be a good ancestor would mean that we can, or individually, I can um, start on something um, that may not be done in my lifetime, mm-hmm. whose full benefits would not occur to me at all, but maybe the third generation from now, mm-hmm. where 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 in three generations, so, so where the benefits 
none of the benefits occur now, and all the benefits happen in three generations. Mm. Thank you so much. Well, this has been this has been a real pleasure. Um, I really well, appreciate great. the time. You ask great questions. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, and um, it was it was uh, a real a real blast to be here and to share with you. And um, I thank you for inviting me. And besides buying your new book, um, Excellent Advice for Living, which I think would be an amazing gift, there'll be links in the show notes. It's right there, <laughs> holding it up. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to direct listeners to? Any passing comments? Um, um, yeah, yeah, I have a website. Um, um, for six, seven years, we've put out a free weekly newsletter with recommendations, one, a one it's, page. Of it's the cool stuff yeah. that I recommendo, yeah. which is free. Free, 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 free. So um, you can sign up there to see stuff that I recommend. And um, uh, nope, I think that's about it. Um, I hope people enjoy the book. It's a great gift for graduation, mm -hmm. Father's Day, Mother's Day, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yep. But thank you again for for this. I'm at W, I mean, you know, whatever, W, um, KK.org <laughs> is my, is my yeah. initials there. And then my email is not hard to find. Uh -huh. All the links will be in the show notes as well. Okay, well, I would like to close Thanks. with this this Rilke line. Um, it, it mirrors something that, uh, yeah, so the, the, the quote is, try to love the questions themselves and live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer. With that in mind, what is the question that is most alive in your consciousness right now? And what question might you leave our listeners with? Oh, question. Um... What should I believe? Hmm. Beautiful. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.